This week, we discuss criminal expungement programs, the coming end of prohibition in Illinois, and the looming threat of big weed, right here on Critical Grass. Forget it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in-thing the hula hoop of the jet generation and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. Hi, my name is Dan Lynn, and I am from Springfield, Illinois, and I'm a longtime cannabis advocate as well as a general manager of medical cannabis dispensaries. That was Brother Brer Rabbit with I Lost My Heart in Illinois. That's right, this week's episode takes us all the way back to the USA, to the land of Abraham Lincoln, where I met with Dan Lynn. Dan is the executive director at the Illinois chapter of Normal. For the uninformed and the forgetful Joneses, that is the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, Dan is also the manager of not one but two Illinois cannabis dispensaries called Maribis, with locations in the state capital of Springfield as well as the Brighton Park neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. In addition to running Illinois Normal and his dispensaries, Dan also does public speaking, policy analysis, and media relations. He has worked with nonprofits as well as businesses and has been instrumental in the cannabis legalization movement throughout Illinois. Suffice to say, he talks the talk and walks the walk with respect to cannabis and is very knowledgeable on the subject, as you will soon hear. He's also a very friendly chap who will happily talk shop with you, as I got to experience a few weeks ago. Now, with prohibition crumbling in the United States, Illinois is frequently listed as one of the next states to go the path of California and the rest of the West Coast in allowing for recreational cannabis. Illinois has had a medical cannabis program since 2015, and it has recently undergone an expansion of qualifying conditions, and just earlier this year, in a referendum held in Cook County, home to Chicago, Residents voted approximately 63% in favor of recreational cannabis throughout the state. So approval is at an all-time high. However, there's still lots of restrictions on the medical end, and on the recreational side, well, the work is just about to get started. Though Normal has been fighting prohibition for quite some time now. I asked Dan what it was like at the beginning and what the biggest challenges were for his organization. Yeah, uh, so, you know, when it comes to just changing the laws, um, every law that we have changed and have attempted to change in Illinois has been met with uh, widespread 
opposition by the law enforcement community. Uh, there's other abstinence-based communities or the addiction community who will oppose, you know, some of the work that we've done. But we've been successful at uh, decriminalizing cannabis in Chicago in 2004 and then eventually decriminalizing it statewide. We were able to pass a medical cannabis legislation to law. So now we have a medical cannabis pilot program in Illinois so that patients are no longer considered criminals and have safe and legal access to this medicine. It's not very surprising that Dan says law enforcement was the biggest opponent to legalization. The reasons for that will vary depending on who you ask. However, you can be certain that law enforcement also has financial interests in continuing prohibition. You could also argue that legalization could free up more resources for law enforcement where they can tackle more serious crimes and not just arrest people for possession of insignificant amounts of cannabis. But why change horses mid-race? The challenges, though, haven't been limited just to law enforcement. I asked Dan about the other difficulties in pushing the topic of cannabis in the state of Illinois. Getting the Illinois lawmakers, some of whom are extremely conservative and have uh, pretty strong religious backgrounds, to understand that people who are using cannabis for medical purposes are not faking it. They're not trying to get high or get access to it for reasons other than they want to feel better and use this in a therapeutic manner. Uh, it took us uh, just about a decade to get medical cannabis legalized in Illinois. And, and a lot of that was bringing patients to the Capitol and meeting with the lawmakers with these patients and having these patients tell their story about their conditions and how cannabis is the only thing for some of them that was working and having the lawmakers hear that enough and meet with these patients enough and see that these people were not faking it. They didn't have ulterior motives to try and legalize it for all purposes um, in order for us to get that legislation passed. This is where normal puts its money where its mouth is. We have a situation where people have legitimate illnesses that are best treated with cannabis. However, due to archaic convictions and out-of-date perceptions on the plant, stubborn lawmakers have had their way for several decades. Unfortunately, it takes a large amount of sick people showing up at the steps of the Capitol to get politicians' attention to be even aware of the fact that cannabis is a medicine. Thankfully, the lawmakers in Illinois were willing to listen, though it wasn't easy and it took a lot of time and effort to get to the current stage. One of the arguments prohibitionists make is that medical cannabis is just a Trojan horse for legalization. I stand to comment on that. Well, it really depends on, you know, who is sick enough to have access to this plant-based medicine and who is uh, maybe not sick enough or who is using it for preventative purposes or even just stress-relieving purposes. Uh, so, I mean, I think that medical cannabis does a good job of showing that not all use is abuse, uh, as well as the potential for positive aspects of being able to use this substance. Dan makes some good points here, specifically with not all use being abuse. That's certainly true, and not only for cannabis. It's unfortunate that our society sees recreational use of any drug as abuse. It's entirely possible to use many different substances without falling to addiction. Ever take Xanax or Valium to relax? How about Ambien or NyQuil for sleeping? How about Ritalin to calm down or focus on work? Ever have a drink to overcome social anxiety? How about taking Viagra or Cialis for getting intimate with your partner? Or how about that coffee to perk up in the morning? These are all medical uses of said substances, though in some cases you wouldn't even need to see a doctor to get your hands on them. However, I would also add that all cannabis use, including recreational, is medicinal. 
most people just don't realize that yet. It's not like your body's endocannabinoid system distinguishes between you taking cannabis to wind down after a long day at work and having some to treat a chronic illness. It'll be happy to receive those cannabinoids with arms wide open either way. And the difference between medical and recreational cannabis, either from a genetic or a physical perspective? None. It's all about how you label it and what you use it for. Getting back to our guest, however, I wanted to ask Dan at what point he realized he wasn't being told the truth about cannabis and what was it that made him decide to take the path he did? I mean, I definitely realized that at an early age in high school. Um, but in terms of my personal journey, I would say the closest thing that I've had to an epiphany would be when I studied for a semester in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is a very tolerant city when it comes to uh, substance use. And it really bothered me that my home country, my home state, uh, had outlawed Mother Nature was the way that I kind of thought about it in those terms. You know, this was a plant. Uh, we have uh, wonderful soil in Illinois for growing lots of agricultural commodities. You know, why we would outlaw this specific plant and not allow our farmers to grow it for industrial purposes, allow people to grow it for medicinal purposes, uh, spiritual purposes, or even just recreational purposes really bothered me. And it was something when I moved back from Vancouver, British Columbia, I really uh, had a new fire in my belly to try and legalize this and, and spearhead this movement if nobody else was going to. Outlawing Mother Nature outlawing just one specific plant. To quote the late great Bill Hicks, doesn't that seem a little unnatural? Thankfully, a lot of people saw it that way too, and Dan was frustrated enough with the situation to go out and fight for what he believed in. No more waiting around on other people to make change. Dan decided to lead by example. I asked him about any surprises he came along the way. Uh, I guess it'd be just a little bit of naivety on my own part where people who were in positions of power, specifically lawmakers or law enforcement spokespeople who, after the law has passed, in spite of those folks' opposition, um, quickly get involved in the industry and try and profit from it. Uh, you know, we've seen this on the federal level in the United States with John Boehner being on the board of directors for a company. We saw this with certain state lawmakers in Illinois, as well as members of the law enforcement community who were opposed to medical cannabis once when we got the law passed. Well, now they're not opposed to it for financial reasons. You know, they're willing to, to get involved in the industry. This has been mentioned on the podcast before, but it is worth repeating that former prohibitionists are now turning pro-cannabis. Dan mentioned John Boehner, the cigarette-smoking, red-wine-chugging former Speaker of the House, who earlier this year became a board member of Acreage Holdings, a cannabis investment firm. A few months ago, he was joined by another former prohibitionist, former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, whose government once introduced legislation to keep cannabis in the same legal category as heroin. Now, on the one hand, this is good news for the pro-legalization side, as it adds to the list of prominent names who will help push the issue forward. On the other hand, it feels like a slap in the face to all those persecuted and arrested for cannabis. You would like to think that their opinions have quote-unquote evolved, showing that they have understood the plant and its relation to human beings. However, with these new cushy positions, they also stand to make a pretty penny. I'll let you decide which was the motivating factor. If their side were to apologize to the victims of the war on drugs, I think they would be rather easily forgiven. But I'm not going to hold my breath. Nonetheless, this is a sign that the times are a-changing, 
and Illinois is no exception. Being in close contact with local businesses and policymakers, I asked Dan whether he thinks we will soon see recreational cannabis in Illinois. No, I definitely think it's coming in the near future. Uh, I know that with the upcoming election that we have in November, the Democratic candidate has been very vocal about his support for legalizing cannabis once when he gets into office. Our current governor, um, I don't think, is as supportive of that policy. I know that he has opposed uh, legalization when he's spoken out uh, about the topic. Uh, Nevertheless, I think that this is much more a matter of uh, when instead of if. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't really sure if we would ever be able to legalize it. Now that we've seen a number of states do it, uh, it really is just a matter of when do we do it as well as how do we do it? Do we allow for lots of cottage businesses to pop up, you know, those small business entrepreneurs, do we really give them an opportunity or do we make it extremely regulated with high barriers to entry uh, so that just some of the politically and wealthy folks are able to scoop up these licenses and and, and capitalize on this industry? Uh, so I think that that's something that is currently being worked on behind the scenes. Um, but I know that from the Illinois normal standpoint, you know, we are much more uh preferring to have a small business type of program along with one that has a lot of social equity involved in it. Uh, So in terms of people who have been disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs and people who were disproportionately arrested and incarcerated for these crimes that are now going to be legal, making sure that they have a leg up and an advantage when it comes to working in this industry now that we've taken it out of the underground and brought it above the table. The Democratic candidate Dan was referring to is a man by the name of J.V. Pritzker, who, among other things, ran on a platform of legalizing recreational cannabis. Somewhat unsurprisingly, he won his race, which put a lot of smiles on the faces of the legalization movement throughout Illinois. This is what he had to say on the topic following his election to governor. It means that we're going to focus on efficiencies in state government. We're going to focus on, uh, te- uh, you know, the opportunity to bring revenue to the state, like, for example, legalizing marijuana. You know, I've talked about that during the campaign. There, that's something we can work on nearly right away because Senator Staines and Representative Cassidy have introduced bills about it. We should look at the regulatory systems in other states and, and look at the ones that really have worked. I think Washington State is an example of that. One of the advantages of not being the first state in the United States to do it is we can look at what's worked in other states and then bring the, the ones that work to Illinois. All I can say is that we have an opportunity here in Illinois to bring $700 million of revenue to the state to create jobs uh, across the state production facilities, dispensaries, um, and to you know reserve some of the licenses for people who've been most put upon uh, and ill-affected by the war on drugs. So for African-Americans or others who had uh, been arrested, so uh, uh, would you be looking to vacate all those arrest records? I definitely want to look at all those arrest records. If we're going to legalize recreational marijuana, then we shouldn't have all of the, what I think are, you know, uh, challenges in our criminal justice system, you know, still existing, people sitting in prison for things that are currently legal. Nearly right away. For some people, this cannot come soon enough, specifically the victims of the drug war with criminal records, as the governor-elect mentioned. Definitely a positive sign, though I urge to proceed with caution when it comes to politicians and their campaign promises. However, there is a lot at stake with legalization here, as many people will have a lot to gain as a result. It's nice knowing that it's now a matter of when and not if, despite not knowing how long that will actually take. I asked Dan whether he thought arrests and criminalization will continue, despite the projections for legalization and the campaign promises. 
Unfortunately, I think it will still continue in Illinois. Uh, Illinois is a very diverse state. Um, even within the city of Chicago, the different neighborhoods are extremely diverse, different socioeconomic demographics there. Uh, you move out to the suburbs of Chicago and you have a completely different set of values uh, and political backgrounds than you would find in the city or in rural parts of Illinois. And even within the rural parts of Illinois, um, you'll find different value systems and socioeconomic backgrounds from you know the people in central Illinois and then you go to the farther south into the Bible Belt in Southern Illinois in the Shawnee National Forest. Um, you know, we have a very unique state in terms of the different cultures and values from the urban areas, the suburban areas, and even within the rural areas of the state. Um, I think that the best way to combat the continued arrests, uh, even in post-legalization world, is to make the laws clear that Officers do not have that discretion. Uh, that was something that we knew was going to be a problem when we decriminalized cannabis in the city of Chicago, where if an officer has the opportunity to write a ticket or arrest somebody under state law, um, there's going to be, you know, the white suburban kids getting written the ticket and the black and brown communities from some of the uh, poor and more violent neighborhoods in the city would be getting arrested. And that's exactly what happened after we decriminalized cannabis in 2004. Once when we were able to decriminalize cannabis statewide, uh, we were able to remove that uh, discretion from the officer. So everybody in Illinois that's caught with 10 grams or less is supposed to be issued a ticket. And that ticket is a uh, non-criminal offense. It's like a civil infraction ticket. And those get wiped away after a certain period after they've been issued anyways and paid in full. So decriminalization is what Dan claims will help stem the arrest rate, as has already been done in places like Chicago. But it's not just about stopping future arrests. There still is the question of what to do about existing criminal records for cannabis-related activities. Those don't just magically go away. One of the ways the authorities can right the wrongs of the drug war is to expunge such criminal records. Localities in California, Washington, Massachusetts and other recreational states have already initiated expungement programs to clear records of cannabis convictions. I asked Dan whether he thinks a similar program will be coming to Illinois. Uh, it's definitely something we're going to be pushing for, and I'm hopeful that it'll be included in whatever final language we have when we do legalize cannabis in Illinois. Um, I know that it'll be met with resistance from the law enforcement community, uh, but I also think that that is the correct action to take if we're looking to, you know, provide a just law as well as to uh, correct some of those wrongs and, and, and these policies that have been around for almost 80 years now. You know, we're definitely pushing for it. You know, we've had those conversations with some lawmakers who want to do something like that. Uh, at that point, it's really just a matter of getting all the stakeholders involved and seeing what compromises need to be made because, um, you know, people who currently have licenses to grow and sell medical cannabis, uh, they don't want to see more competition added. Uh, there's other people who want to get a license who don't currently have one who would like to see someone get a license instead of them just because of uh, racial or ethnic backgrounds. Uh, nevertheless, we know that Illinois at one time had some of the most disproportionately uh, different racial uh, arrest rates and incarceration rates in the country. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are righting those wrongs as we re-legalize this substance. This is what Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton had to say on the matter after election night. 
Well, I was just going to add, JB and I have proposed creating a new Office of Criminal Justice Reform and Economic Opportunity to look at exactly those types of issues. So in addition to looking at the uh, criminal records and making sure that those could be freed up upon uh, legalizing recreational uh, cannabis, the other thing that we've also looked at is making sure that those same communities that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs can also have economic opportunities in this industry. So not just clearing criminal records, but also giving the same victims of the drug war job opportunities. How this will be implemented is to be determined. But judging by other places with similar programs, it's a good start. In his response, Dan used the word re-legalize, which I think is incredibly important to highlight. Many people are convinced that cannabis was something that has been illegal in the United States since the country's inception. However, by doing a little research or visiting cannabis museums, you will learn that from 1850 to 1942, cannabis was listed in the U.S. Pharmacopeia under the name Extractum Cannabis, before it was stricken from the books. Which is a little ironic, considering in 1942, the U.S. Department of Agriculture released a little film called Hemp for Victory, explaining the uses of hemp and encouraging farmers to grow as much as possible to help win the war. Some other tidbits you might not read in traditional textbooks. In 1619, America's first cannabis law was enacted at Jamestown Colony in Virginia, ordering all farmers to make trial of Indian hemp seed. Cannabis hemp was legal tender in most of the Americas from 1631 until the early 1800s in order to encourage American farmers to grow more. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson grew cannabis on their plantations, and I wouldn't be surprised to learn if they played a bit of Puff Puff Pass now and again. The United States Census of 1850 counted 8,327 hemp plantations with a minimum of 2,000 acres, growing cannabis hemp for cloth, canvas, and cordage used for baling cotton. These and other little cannabis sous of historical information can of course be found in the fascinating book The Emperor Wears No Clothes by the late great Jack Herrer. Cannabis has been in America for quite some time now. Finally, prohibition is starting to dissolve, and legalization is taking hold. Slowly for some, yet quite quickly for others. I was curious as to what kind of distribution model Dan envisions for the state of Illinois. Uh, it'll definitely vary by the state or by the the location in the state. I mean, I think in Chicago, you very well could see the social consumption lounges or the private clubs, uh, whereas in other parts of the state, you probably won't see that. Or if it is, it'll be much more restricted to like a private club type setting. Uh, but I think that's where that type of local control is ideal because what's going to work and be tolerated by people in Chicago is uh, probably going to be different from what people are willing to tolerate in places like Clinton, Illinois, or in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Uh, and I think that those uh, different communities and different values should be able to uh, allow or not allow these type of places if, the, if that's what the locals want to do. So the localities will end up deciding how they proceed going forward. And as Dan mentions, Illinois is a diverse state with diverse values and opinions, despite Chicago being the most influential locality. Given his experience and time spent outside of Chicago, I wanted to ask Dan what the general perception of cannabis is like downstate. I definitely would say that it's, it's, it's more pocketed 
Um, so like you have some of the college towns like uh, Champaign-Urbana, you have Bloomington Normal, you have uh, Macomb, Illinois, and, and, and Charleston, and DeKalb, where you know there are these state universities and the, the young people who uh, probably bring some of that liberal political values, and I think cannabis use is a little bit more tolerated there, or at least there's um, not as a strong opposition to it as you would find in some of the um, more rural communities. However, once when you get farther south in southern Illinois, I think you have a little bit more of the um, libertarian kind of angle with, you know, get the government out of my backyard. If I want to smoke a little bit of cannabis and grow a little bit of cannabis on my farm in southern Illinois, you know, why should the, the big bad government from Washington, D.C. or Springfield, you know, tell me that I can't do that. Um, you know, and that's where I think like you go far enough south and you actually start to build more support than you would imagine uh, in terms of legalizing cannabis. So um, one of the state senators I had lunch with uh, had a real good observation. And he said that in his district, he felt that about a third of the people would be extremely opposed to cannabis legalization. He felt another third would be strongly in favor of it. And then he felt that that other third uh, just didn't care one way or the other and have a strong value. And while we were having lunch, a few of his constituents walked by and he just randomly kind of polled them on it. And sure enough, out of the three people he asked, one of them was opposed to it, one of them supported it, and one of them just shrugged and said, I don't really care. So Illinois is marching forward with legalization and support seems high enough outside of Chicago, which shows what rural areas think of the issue. For them, it could also mean jobs and more tax revenue for things like education and infrastructure. With Michigan becoming the 10th state to legalize recreational cannabis on this past election night, and Illinois to soon join its ranks apparently, when might we see the end of federal prohibition? I bet you we're five years away. Within the next five years, I think you'll see some changes on the federal level. Um, it could be something like the rescheduling or the descheduling of cannabis as a controlled substance. Uh, it could be something where you allow states to move forward with these legalization laws uh, without the federal interference. Uh, it could also be something where um, you see the U.S. withdraw from some of these international treaties and, uh, and then move forward on our own as a nation. Given the current political climate in the U.S., no one really knows what the near future holds as things can seem quite volatile, especially with the high turnover rate in the Trump cabinet. However, there is a good sign of the end of prohibition coming sooner with the resignation of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Mr. Good People Don't Smoke Marijuana, whose outlook on cannabis is stuck in the 1930s. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, Jeff. Not everything is all rosy, though, with federal legalization, as a lot of people are worried about giant corporations coming along and dominating the market. I understand if you thought big weed is a real concern. I think there's a certain inevitability to that. Uh, I do think that we can craft laws and regulations that help uh, prevent that from happening or slow down that inevitability. Um, and I think that that's where we can find a way to coexist with like the big cannabis as well as the cottage industry or the boutique shops that are going to be a little bit more specialized. Um, I think that you can look at wine as a good example of uh, where there's some large major players, but then there's also still the ability for the smaller folks to compete and, and, and make a good living and honest wage for themselves. Um, and I think that you'll find people from 
all spheres of the you know political and economic spectrum who want to sometimes go and get something produced by a large company at a very uh, standardized type of product and a very low cost. And then you'll find people who they want to spend that extra money to get something that they know is much more unique and crafted with a much more individualized care. So it's quite possible we might see cannabis supplied by big companies mass-producing their products to a below-average standard, as well as boutique establishments coming out with products made with much more attention to detail and care. Kind of like what you see with craft beer and fine wines. Either way, Dan believes that there will be room for both, and who knows, maybe this might be a model that works for everyone. Nonetheless, there is a long road ahead of Illinois, as legalization is only in its infancy. So where can we get a hold of Dan if we'd like some more information? Sure. So if they're interested in getting involved with Illinois Normal, they can go to our website, which is illinoisnormal.org, and it's Illinois spelled out, and then the acronym for the organization, N-O-R-M-L. If they're more interested in enrolling as a medical cannabis patient or learning more about the medical cannabis program, they can visit the Maribus website, which is maribusllc.com, and it's Maribus, M-A-R-I-B-I-S. And on that note, it's time to say goodbye to this week's guest. Dan Lin, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Good luck in all your endeavors, and hopefully we'll see legalization sooner than you predict. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. That was episode eight. Two more to go before we reach the double digits. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with friends, family, strangers, and foes. After all, there is no such thing as bad publicity. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions and comments are always welcome. We have some very interesting episodes coming up soon, so stay tuned. I will be back next week. Hope to see you then. Toodles.